Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. We're in a series called Warfare. And last week, we did the blood of Jesus. So I'm tackling all the topics that most churches nowadays won't tackle. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about they won't even touch the blood. And today, we're going to go with the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. And last week, so we talked about the power of the blood. And if you start reading uh, the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua, you come to what's known as the scarlet cord. And that scarlet cord from the house of Rahab is traced through the genealogy all the way to Jesus. And Rahab became... Let me just say, because I don't know how many greats to put in there. She became the great-grandmother of Jesus and that house of Rahab. That scarlet cord was woven throughout the scripture. That scarlet cord is the blood. But the blood really began to be woven through scripture long before Rahab ever hung a scarlet cord out. The blood was actually introduced to us right after the lie that Satan told while he was hanging in a tree. And he should have known better because he used a tree to deceive God's people. And then God used a tree to redeem his people. But right after that, the Lord sacrificed an animal and the blood of that animal and the skin of that animal became the covering for God's people. And you find the scarlet cord then woven from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, the blood of Jesus. So it's hard for me to comprehend how something that is woven from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible. Because we can even go to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 where it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, scarlet cord, and the word of their testimony. It's woven. And so you cannot ignore the blood of Jesus. Equally true, you cannot ignore the name of Jesus and what that name means. And often the name of Jesus gets talked about a lot in what we celebrated last month, Christmas time. How many of y'all enjoyed your Christmas time? And uh, then at Christmas time, we often go through, we read the Gospels. And there, throughout the Gospels, it's declared what the name was going to be of this child that was miraculously in the womb of Mary. And I just want to pause just for a moment. This is not in my notes. I heard something before service and I just want to say something to the enemy real quick. Everybody good? I'm going to pick right back up about a miraculous womb with this. The enemy will fight the children of God from having babies because he knows those babies will grow up to be disciples of Jesus. And he knows you don't believe in abortion, so you're not going to kill the baby after the fact. So he's trying to keep it from ever happening in your womb. So I speak to every womb right now in the name of Jesus. And I plead the blood of Jesus over it. And we are victorious in the name of Jesus Christ and by the blood of the Lamb. Because the first commandment that was given to us was to be fruitful and multiply. And may it happen in your homes in Jesus' name. So Mary had a miraculous conception. And that the Bible tells us in the Gospels what the name was going to be of the child that was in the womb of Mary. And we think that that's really the kind of the first time it's ever even thought about or talked about. But long before 
the angel appeared to Joseph to instruct Joseph on how to name this child that was coming into his life, Jesus, the cord, just like the scarlet cord, the cord of the name was being woven into the fabric of the word of God. And now, it, and then it also tells us and tells us how it's woven into the lives of every person who's ever been alive. The name that was going to be of this baby was long before we ever read it in the gospels. The plan of God from the foundation of the world was the redemption and the covering of man's shame and man's nakedness brought on by that deceiving, slithering little snake in the garden. So long before you and I ever got here, long before ever the cross of Calvary, it was the plan of God to take care of whatever you've been dealing with. What you're going through didn't catch God by surprise. Everything that the enemy has tried to do, guess what? It didn't catch God by surprise. He already had a plan before the foundation of the world. You can read John 1 and 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, John chapter 17, just to name a few that show us that from the beginning, this was the plan. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It wasn't an afterthought, it was in the beginning. From the foundation of the world, God had a plan. In John 17 verses 4 through 6, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, I, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, the enemy would have you to believe that this is somehow God is a reactionary God. Nope, God was proactive. He already knew the plan of the enemy, but the enemy did not know the plan of God. And the enemy thinks he's going to get one up on God, but God already knows the end from the beginning. He is the author. He is the finisher. He is the alpha. He is the omega, the beginning, and he is the end. Verse 6 of that same text in John 17. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Just some key points there. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. And then the first slide in verse 6, I have manifested your name. The word there, manifest, simply means to shine forth. It means I was shining forth your name. It's not meaning necessarily a declaration of just the name, but it means more about being a living illustration of the name. I haven't just preached it is what Jesus was saying, or I didn't just teach it, but I have lived what you have asked me to do. Because y'all know a bunch of people, right, that have a name, but never live up to the name. Jesus had the name, but he lived up to the name. He said, you didn't just call me Jesus, but I was Jesus. I acted like Jesus. I delivered like Jesus. I healed like Jesus. I raised the dead like Jesus. I did what you named me to do. I have manifested or I have shown forth what you have brought me into the world to do. Or in other words, I'm living out the plan. I'm not just talking about it. I'm not just dreaming about it. I'm not just discerning it, but I am living out the plan. I'm living it out in front of everybody. I'm 
I'm bringing light to it. I'm bringing light to the plan of God. I'm bringing light to the prophecies that were known in part, but now are known in full because I didn't just get the name. I was the name. How many of y'all just want to be what God has called you to be? Not just people say, you know what? They were a prophet. I actually want to prophesy. Not just they have the gift of healing, but I actually want to do some healing. Living up to the name. He says, so my life has been an example of fulfilling the word. Paul would say, great is the mystery. First Timothy chapter three and verse 16. Great is the mystery that God was manifest, shining forth in the flesh. God was shining forth in the flesh. Truly, John 1 and 14, truly the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus would say, this is what I have done. I have fleshed it out. I've lived out your name and your nature before these men that you, Lord, entrusted me with. And they have seen you by seeing me. Wouldn't that be great when people get before the throne and they say, Lord, I already knew what you were like because I was around so-and-so. I watched them live out their life. And because they lived out their life, they were shining you forth. Because here's what Jesus said. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you see what I do, then this is what the Father's heart is. I have loved you because God loves you. I'm healing you because God wants to heal you. I'm delivering you because that's exactly what my mission has been all along. And remember these words what Jesus said to the people? He said, and greater works than these shall you do. Wouldn't it be great if the church started living it out? Living it out. So then the question would be, Jesus is saying, I fleshed it out. Well, what exactly was fleshed out or lived out or what was brought to light or what was shining forth? Well, Old Testament prophets, if you don't know this, the Old Testament is what we would call types, typology, shadows, or of what was to come. Or some of us would say the Old Testament was the schoolmaster teaching us and leading us and bringing us to Christ. So everything from Malachi to Genesis is leading you to something or shall I say someone. Everything about from Genesis to Malachi is bringing you to Jesus. So when you read the Old Testament, it isn't just a bunch of genealogies that mean nothing. It's not just a bunch of stories that mean nothing. It's leading you. It's prophetic. It's moving you to realize that there is something coming that's bigger, stronger, and better than anything that they had ever been a part of. And they lived their whole lives looking for it. Isn't it a shame that they lived their whole lives looking for it, but we have found it. But the people who were looking for it have more desire to see it than those that have actually found it because they were looking for it they were longing for it because they were in bondage they they, every year they had to go get their favorite lamb and their favorite goat and then they had to explain to their children why they killed their pet and it got old why Bambi was always going to do something good for us when Bambi didn't do anything wrong And all they could wait for was a better day, a better day, a better day. And then when the better day arrived, they rejected it. 
This, let me give you a caution in the church or in marriages. Let me put it that way. You know, when you were struggling, when you first got together, you were struggling in your marriage. You didn't have two nickels to rub together. And if you showed up at McDonald's and got to share a French fry, all you cared about was that you were there with the love of your life. You even gave her the last half of the last French fry. But then God starts blessing your home and you start getting a better job. And then you say, you know what? We don't want to go to McDonald's. We want to go over to the place that serves the best steak in town. And we want to go there. And then when you get there and all the blessings of the Lord are on your life, you're not even worried about the last fry because you haven't picked up your head from your phone. See, when you were struggling and all you had was love, you just stayed in love. But then when you got a ride, then all of a sudden all the distractions of what you found and what you had started taking control. And some of us would be better off broke than we are blessed, if you will. Because it happens in the church, right? When you first fall in love with Jesus and you don't know anything about him, all you want to do is be in his presence and get there to church and get there. And then God starts blessing your life. And then all of a sudden you can't pick up your head from your phone to recognize that Jesus is here, that he's in the house. Y'all mopping what I'm dropping here? See, sometimes we got to go through the struggle so we'll fall back in love with him and realize that we didn't have anything. All we had was him. And when you do have everything, guess what? All you have is him I remember Melissa and I first got married we lived next to the slaughterhouse every Tuesday they would bring a load of pigs and we prayed over those pigs and I think they were praying too it was, they were squealing we didn't, we didn't eat pork, ham, bologna, anything for the first couple of years of our marriage every Tuesday that joker would pull up and that pigs would all and Melissa would always say let's go over there and buy some meat we never bought meat the entire time we were living next to that slaughterhouse we never bought meat from their little store we move away from there and we forgot the sacrifice of the pigs and then we'd show up at Fisher's Meat Market like this is the best meat in the world because we forgot about the struggle that it took to produce what we were enjoying. And sometimes we get into a church like this and you think, man, they got it all together, but you haven't remembered the sacrifice that it took to get into this place. When we showed up and there was 92 of us and we were in debt up to our eyeballs and we had $400,000 in debt. Now we got $12 million worth of buildings and we sit here debt free. Listen, he's still the same God that was over there and as he is over here. And we ought to worship him for the struggle that we went through and the blessings that we have. This place ought to be more radical today than it was back then that's what the old testament was creating was creating a hunger it was creating a desire that the messiah was coming over 300 prophecies in the old testament about a future messiah 300 prophecies about a savior that was anointed by God to deliver his people from oppression. They were on the proverbial edge of their seats waiting for the savior to come to deliver them from oppression. Hundreds and thousands of years of oppression. And some of you have worked up about two years with the wrong political party. (laughs) 
These folks had hundreds and thousands of years of oppression in their life. They were on the edge of their seat and they got it wrong like we get it wrong. They were waiting for a king to come in and usher in a political victory. He didn't come for a political victory. He came for a supernatural victory. If you're new here, I tick the Republicans off just as much as I tick the Democrats off because I am neither a Democrat nor a Republican. I'm a Jesus freak. And if you choose a church based on your political persuasion, you in it for the wrong business. I don't tell you how to vote. Let's just go to the word. I'm going to keep moving. I can, I can feel the. You can't pick your head up from your phone to recognize that Jesus is here. All right. The Old Testament contained all those prophets and prophecies. And then the New Testament trumpets the fulfillment of those prophecies through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus himself revealed that he was the promised Messiah in John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. The Old Testament described the awaited Messiah's birth in detail. The Old Testament described the Messiah's birth in detail. In particular, the prophets foretold that the Savior would be born of a woman. He would defeat Satan to redeem humanity because of Satan's deception of our first parents in Genesis chapter 3. At verse 15, the Savior, according to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 17, Numbers 24, and Genesis chapter 49, prophesied that the Savior would come from the line of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, and he would come out of the line, from the tribe of Judah. In Micah chapter 5 in verse 2, y'all, I'm I'm just going to preach you the whole Bible today. In in Micah chapter 5 in verse 2, the scripture reveals that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 says that not only would he be born in Bethlehem, he would be born to a virgin who would call him Emmanuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, this says the Messiah would be an heir to King David's throne and he would reign for eternity. He was indeed called Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. And it perfectly describes the nature of Jesus as God made flesh to dwell among us. That's John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. Isaiah declared that the Messiah would be called by many names in addition to Emmanuel. Such as Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He would be called Wonderful, the Counselor. We talked about that last week. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The Old Testament was a living, breathing, born of a virgin. It was telling us of this is what's coming. A living, breathing, born of a virgin, healing, delivering, filling, baptizing, prophecy, fulfilling Messiah. Why were they shocked when it happened? 
Because you can hear prophecy for so long and the delay thinks that it is never going to happen. But my friend, just because it is delayed does not mean that it's not going to happen. The delay is not a denial. The delay is should be creating an anticipation of what is coming. May I tell the church, you should never stop looking up. We have been required to look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Just because it has been delayed doesn't mean we are in denial. So the 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah that are found throughout the Bible created a buzz, if you will. Let us just say Fox and MSNBC and CNN and all the other acronyms that are on TV will all be talking about it. There is a Messiah coming. There is a Messiah coming. And for sure, just like now, there would be those broadcasters to say, we have heard this for thousands of years. And yet these people are still believing that there is going to be a Messiah that is going to come. And sure enough, right in line with the devil's playbook, there was four. 400 years of silence from Malachi to Matthew 400 years of silence can you imagine what they would be saying today to all of us Jesus freaks if we had 400 years of nothing where's your Jesus now where's your church now where's your Bible stuff now where's your healer now Where's your deliverer now? They say you only have to wait 400 years. Just let the doctor say one thing contrary to God's word. And all of a sudden, all your family and friends that don't believe this will say, well, where's your Jesus now? Just wait. He about to show up. Where's he at now? And then the 400 years of silence. Right before we go into it, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. The last prophecy before 400 years of silence, Malachi 4.2. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And in 400 years of silence from that, you fear my name, the son of righteousness is going to arise with healing in his wings. I just took three lines out of that verse. And he had to cling on to that for 400 years. Jesus, the Messiah is coming. He's going to be the son of righteousness. And healing is coming in his wings. Can you imagine having leprosy? And hearing that the one that's coming is going to have healing in his wings. And every time one of your body parts would fall off, all of your Job's comforters, if you don't know what that means, Job had some people in his life who thought and said they were his friends, but would comfort him by saying, you're a no good down low person, Job. And certainly you've done something to cause this, Job. And so we call them Job's comforters because they were everything but a comfort. So Job's comforters show up and say, oh, well, I see your pinky fell off today. Didn't you say that the one, there was one coming who was going to have healing in his wings. And all you could wait for is to hope that you didn't fall apart until God's plan come apart. And all you had to listen to for 400 years, it was 400 years of silence from, the, from heaven. But there was a whole lot of chattering going on on the earth. And then the 400 years of silence from the heavens. 
people mistook that because heaven was silent, that heaven wasn't working. The silence from heaven didn't mean that heaven wasn't working or that the Messiah wasn't coming because the silence was broken with this message. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. That's Matthew chapter 1. 400 years of silence. They had a prophecy in Malachi, Malachi 4.2. And now the heavens interrupted and say, whoa, hang on a second. You didn't think we were working, but we've been having this plan all along. We were just waiting for the opportune time to fulfill this prophecy. And now the Savior is going to be born. Mary is a virgin. And people said, how is this going to happen? And it's by the Holy Ghost that it happens. Because even though heaven is silent, doesn't mean that heaven is not working on your behalf just because you haven't heard the word doesn't mean that the word is not already working on your behalf because the word has already been spoken there's already been a prophecy and just because you haven't been reminded of the word doesn't mean that God's word isn't going to accomplish what it was sent out to accomplish because the bible says that his word will never return void but once it is sent out it will accomplish what it was sent out to accomplish just because you haven't been reminded of it but when you were five years old and God said he's going to do this in your life just because you're 55 and you've had 50 years of silence doesn't mean that God's word is not going to return back with what he promised you you've been praying for your children for 35 years and you think it's silence and all you hear is the chatter from your children about how they don't believe God how they don't believe there is a God you just wait the word of the Lord is going to show up in their pig pen and they're going to be rehearsing their speech back to the father the prodigal's father had no idea what was going on in the pig pen he was just out in the road with anticipation I'm sure after the father and the son got together, the boy told his dad, yeah, before I had the conversation with you, I was having a conversation with God. And you had no idea what was going on, but while they're sitting on the bar stool or while they're putting that needle in their arm, the word of the Lord is working on your behalf. Do not give up hope and do not give up faith about what God is doing on your behalf. So in Matthew chapter 1, we find out that this prophecy has a name. He has a name. What a moment. All these thousands of years about this prophecy and these, the Messiah coming, now we finally have a name. We can name it. I want you to think just for a moment about the trouble or the ordeal that you went through. Maybe you didn't go through this, but Melissa and I, we own like 20 books on trying to name Morgan. Has anybody ever bought all these books? What's in a name? The names, the popular names. So we named, we had, a, we had a boy's name and it was Carter Royce. And then we found out we were having a girl. And that really threw a, the whole thing upside down. We're like, oh, well, we had a name for a boy. Now we got a girl. What do we name? So we went, we bought all these books. What's in a name? What's in a name? What's in a name? Has any of y'all had almost busted up your marriage over naming the blessing of the child that you just had? Well, I want to name her Gertrude. Why in the world would you want to name her Gertrude? Because that was my great grandma's name. Like, why are we doing that to the kid? 
good name. I'm glad it's not my name. My mom and dad were going to name me Simon. I'm Simon and Garfunkel. And then my mother's maiden name is Simon. Then they were going to name me Joshua. And then at the last minute, my dad said, his name is Jason. And I'm like, why couldn't you come up with something more elegant? Why couldn't you? But there's such pressure on parents to name their children. Right? How about Jabez? His name means pain. What you think about this? When Jabez was late for dinner, his name meant pain. And his dad would open up the screen door and scream out, Jabez! He's telling the whole neighborhood, come here, pain! Get home, pain! You're late, pain! So, the crazy thing is, is that the responsibility of naming a child in the Bible days was not the mother. The responsibility came to the father. So, there was probably a whole bunch of kids named, I don't know. Nothing. Never mind. And the most popular name was Ask Your Mother. Pressure. Can you imagine the pressure, though, that was on Joseph to name this child? First of all, he's trying to figure out how to name a child that he ain't the baby daddy. Y'all, y'all good. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, the first inclination would be, I want to name this boy to tell everybody that Mary was going around the block. And this boy ain't my boy. You know, when he goes to school and he ain't very smart, I want everybody to know he ain't my boy. There's some pressure on Joseph. He's trying to figure out what to name the boy. But heaven in precious situations when we are in the will of God for our lives, heaven takes the pressure off of us and gives us the direction that we need. Because even though Joseph wasn't the baby daddy, the real baby daddy did name the son. The baby daddy said, hey, Joseph, you're his natural father, but what's in Mary isn't yours, it's mine. And so I want you to name him and I'm gonna name him over like the Old Testament dads would do. We name a child over what they're going to do, over what the destiny is, or we name the baby about what the family business is all about and my family business is the soul saving business so hey Joseph I want you to name the baby Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins so the father did name the son and his name is Jesus all Joseph had to do was say hey his name is Jesus now can you imagine the conversation with Joseph at the local restaurant why would you name the boy Jesus because God said Oh, really? So you're going to go with the same story, Joseph, about how she got pregnant (laughs) as how to name the baby. Yep, that's my story. I'm sticking to it because, listen, fellas, the last time I disagreed, I had to go silent for a while. And when God says, I'm going to do, and I'm going to name the boy Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So this is his name. He is Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. He is Emmanuel, but he has a name. He is wonderful, but he has a name. 
He is our counselor, but he has a name. He is the mighty God, but he has a name. He is the everlasting father, but he has a name. He is the prince of peace, but he has a name. He is a healer, but he has a name. He is a deliverer, but he has a name. He is a way maker, but he has a name. He is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And if you know the savior of the world, here's the thing. You know him by name. Not only that, you are also now on a first name basis with him. You don't have to call him Mr. Sir. You just walk in and say, Jesus, when Melissa is driving, I have never been so thankful that I'm on a first name basis with the savior of the world. Because as the car is pulling out and she is on her phone singing to the top of her lungs to the same Jesus, she's singing to him, but I need him. And I'm on a first name basis with him. And I said, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't have to go any through some formal process or any formalities or pop a circumstance. I'm on a first name basis with him and I can talk to him anytime. But if you're not careful, you'll take the familiarity that you have with him and hold it in contempt. Because you can call on him anytime you want. You never feel like you need to make time for him when he wants. I, I mean, I've told this story before. Some of you that have been here a long time. Uh, I grew up in the, around the hood. And, and by the hood, I mean, like in my high school, we, we got taught drive-by shooting drills. I grew up in the hood. If you set something outside and you put free on it, it would be there tomorrow. But if you set the same thing outside and put a for sale sign on it, it would be gone. Anybody else can testify to that. I lived in energy and Melissa and I used to play over and under. Our energy must be the hood too. So I lived in energy and we would make an over under bet on how long something would ha- stay out at the end of my driveway. And one night the transmission went out in my tractor. So I tied the tractor to the back of the Jeep and I drug it from the backyard with my Jeep floored because the wheels would not move. It was just frozen. And I drug it out to the end of the driveway. And I told Melissa, I said, it'll be gone in less than an hour. She took the under and she won. I had no more than got out of the Jeep. And I don't know how these dudes did it because they took everything I had to pull it from the backyard to the end of the driveway. And it was gone in 15 minutes. It was gone. I don't know how they did it. It was gone. So one day we had something really goofy out there and it wasn't, it wasn't leaving. It wasn't leaving. So I put a for sale sign on it and it was gone by the time we got home. Because free means it has no value in people's minds. You put a for sale sign on it, now it has value. See, salvation is free. Calling on the name of Jesus is free. But we listen, here's the value of it. What you can call on for free and what has been provided for you for free nearly bankrupted heaven. Because John 3.16 gives us the cost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It cost him everything. He didn't have a backup plan. There was no other son standing there if the plan failed. The only plan he had was Jesus. So we call it free, but it has great value to it. But because it's free, we undervalue it. Because we can call on his name, we undervalue it. But there is great value in the name. The name of Jesus, it opens the door to the supernatural. The name of Jesus is the only name that is recognized on earth 
in hell and in heaven. It has the power to save souls. It has the power to heal bodies. And it has the power to conquer demons. And there is so much pressure in our world today to silence the name of Jesus. While the people of the name devalue it. The world is showing you how much they value it because they know that if you speak the name, things change. If you pray in the name, things change. They'll let you say God all you want. Just don't say Jesus. They'll say, you just talk in, in hyperbole terms, but just don't get specific about the name of Jesus. You can talk about your higher power. Just don't talk about Jesus. You can talk about mother nature. Just don't talk about Jesus. You can talk about all these other things. Just silence the name of Jesus. We need to be the people that are loud and proud about the name of Jesus Christ because when you speak the name hell trembles, demons flee, sickness runs sins are forgiven because you spoke the name there's pressure and I want you to pray they want to stifle the name of Jesus silence the name of Jesus and stop the name of Jesus the prophets though said something to us the prophets told us how we would know his name. He said, therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. That's Isaiah 52 and verse 6. So if we know him, we know his name, we know that it is him that speaks, then we cannot be silenced, stopped, nor stifled. We need that name to enter the gateway of the supernatural. You cannot have revival without Jesus. You can't have healing without Jesus. You can't save your marriage without Jesus. You cannot do anything without Jesus. So you might as well call him by his name. He's tired of being called hey you or the hey hey and all the higher power. He has a name and we should use it. His name is Why is there such a move to silence his name? Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 says that his name will be the hope of the world. You know, we live in a very hopeless world. And we have a tremendous amount of people who make their living peddling fear. How many of you have a better frame of mind since you turned off the news? Why? Because they have made it their business to sell you fear and division. Our politicians stay in power through fear and division. That's the name of the game. And so they are profiting by peddling fear. But we are not people of fear. We're people of faith. We live and we walk by faith, not by fear. God did not give us the spirit of fear but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. If God didn't give the spirit of fear, who gives the spirit of fear? Well, the enemy does. Because fear is the opposite of faith. And whenever you conquer your fear, you start walking in faith. And in order to walk in faith, you're going to have to conquer your fear. You're going to have to step out and do things that you are afraid of doing. Listen, it is not natural to want to bow your knee in church. It is not natural to want to throw your hands up and worship something other than ourselves. It is not natural for us to hoot and holler to this 
invisible, if you will, God. There's something about us that when we get into his presence that changes our nature and we overcome our fear about what our neighbor thinks about us. Well, first of all, your neighbor has all snotted out too. Their makeup's running too. Their hairdo is gone. The bobby pins are on the floor. It's all over. Just go ahead and do you, boo, because the devil wants you to think that you're the only one in the room that's worshiping. No, my friend, look around you. That's the same lie he told Elijah. You're all alone. No, and here's what God said. I got 7,000 more just like you. And if the 7,000 of you would join together, we'd have a revival. So they live in hopelessness. That's the fear. We're we're without hope. It's just horrible. Gas prices are high. Have you seen the cost of eggs? And we need the rain. Now there's too much rain. We're having floods. If we don't have rain, we're going to have a drought and we're all going to die of the dust. Now it's raining and we're all going to die of the flood. It doesn't matter which direction it goes. They want to peddle the fear that accompanies whatever direction peddles them more money. Have you ever seen so many shortages in all your life? We got shortages on turkeys and chickens and cows. When are we going to have a shortage of the lives of the enemy? Man, I tell you, gas is high, yet everybody goes to Walmart and Kroger. The only time gas is too high is church time. I'm sorry, did I say something wrong? We'll save money by not going to church so we can go to Walmart. Well, my friend, you can order Walmart in and they'll deliver it so you got gas to come to church. Because if you stay home, you're going to be hopeless. But if you get to church, you're going to have some hope. I'm meddling now. If I just had more time, if I just had more time, I'd be at church. Well, how you redeem the time is you give God the first of your time. So they they live in just a a hopeless world. Fear peddling, fear mongering. And the antidote to the fear pandemic is the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. So they don't want you to mention hope because they're making their living being hopeless. So when you mention the name of Jesus, it brings hope. And when you say the name, demons tremble. And if you want, all you have to do to make the demons tremble while you're afraid, right? The demon's like threatening you. All you have to do is say the name of Jesus and he starts trembling. So why are you standing there in fear when you have a name that causes them to be afraid? But if we won't use the name, that we stand in the spirit of fear. Not of love and of power and a sound mind, but we stand in the spirit of fear. But if you use the name, now you have power, sound mind, and love. And you look at our world right now that is so hopeless, there is no love anywhere. For the love of many shall wax cold, is what the scripture says. I mean, you think about this, how cold love has to be. That people would fight for the right to kill the blessing of the Lord in their lives. The Pharisees were religious. They were fair, you see. They had it all together. We're fair, you see. 
And when Jesus started healing blinded eyes and opening deaf ears, it messed up how they thought the church should look. When Jesus comes in, he proverbially upsets the tables. He upsets the religious folks, right? What, G, what made Jesus so upset was they had the dove in a cage. Because the religious folks want the spirit of God caged up so they can sell it to you and partition it out to you and piecemeal it to you. I want you to have everything that heaven has for you in your own life. I want you to have the whole Holy Ghost in your life. Now, Pastor, we can believe in that healing. I just don't know about that deliverance. You just caged up the dove. Because, man, when you get deliverance in the church, people start fleeing. Right, because it messes up the way they think the church should look. And revival, my friend, is a dirty business. For a moment. And then the baptizer comes. And all of a sudden, all that dirt is gone, and we are clean and new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Ah, oh, you can see that. I, I got to quit. I haven't, I haven't made it out of the first point yet. If you weren't here on first Wednesday, I laid it out. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. And what I want the church to be sober about and be vigilant about is watch out for the Pharisees who want to stop what God is doing. I'm asked that of Jesus, people bowing their knee. Well, the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why y'all got to worship like that? Well, because Jesus did a lot for me. Because I was one of those Pharisees, you see. And I was so Pharisee, I became a sad, you see. You know why they were called the Sadducees? Because they were, they didn't believe in the rapture. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were sad, you see. And we don't need a church full of Pharisees and Sadducees. We need a bunch of people to say, look, you see? <laughs> yeah, that boy was blind last week and today he sees. Right here, right here, we got Audie back in October. You were under bondage, but on one, Monday night, you were laying hands on people and working in the ministry of deliverance. I mean, look, you see what God has done. Look and see what God is doing and what God has done. I think she knows I'm closing, right? I'm going to close here. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to go about like eight more minutes. I haven't eaten in like six days, man. I'm wore out. I started talking about the dove and all I could think about was that's got two. We throw that thing on the grill. The only thing I didn't think about eating the whole day was snake. <laughs> Everything else, I'm like, Whoo. I'll have a number two, please. <laughs> Philippians chapter two. I'm just real in this place. I just, I don't know how to be anything else but me. <laughs> so I, I want to show you how to. 
Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to close you with what the Lord spoke to me this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Therefore God also has, I'm, by the way, I'm going to finish this next week. I know I was supposed to go into the authority that he given to us. I'll wait. I'm going to finish this about his name. I think it's that important. Therefore God also, this is verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And you know what? Most of us, we skip over this next line and we go right to the next verse. We see, and every knee should bow and every tongue shall confess. This verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But there is a line between those two things that we, we talk about. And the line is, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when we skip over that last line of verse 10, we're missing in a very important truth. The things that are in the earth, things that are under the earth, also have to bow their knee. At the name of Jesus, under the earth is referencing demons, the devil, they have to bow their knee to Jesus. So when they walk in the room, they're not in control. When Jesus walks in the room, they have to bow their knee in reverence to the king of kings. And just because something bows its knee doesn't mean it's godly. Just because something trembles at the name of Jesus doesn't make it godly. The devil knows that there's one Lord and he trembles. Demons tremble. You can read Matthew chapter 8 and it talks about the two men that Jesus healed in Gadara. But Luke tells it a little differently in Luke 8 about when Jesus showed up on the shoreline of the man of Gadara. When I was praying in my house this morning, this text just leaped out at me. It was not a part of my notes, so thank you to the team back there for adding it in. And it's not in your hot sheets, but I want to read this to you. This is Luke 8, verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he, that's Jesus, when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, because that's what the devil really wants to do. Just wants to embarrass you, make you the talk of the town, and not on a good thing, but on a bad thing. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him. So this man is demon-possessed, and the demons that are inside of him, we'll get to that in just a moment, are bowing because everything that was in him was bowing. Those that are on the earth and those that are under the earth have fallen before Jesus as he stepped on the shore. And with a loud voice, he said, what have I do, what, I, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, do not torment me. Now, all these people are rejecting Jesus. Can anything good come from Galilee? And the first person 
who recognizes him as the son of the most high God is a demon-possessed man. Could it be that the reason why the enemy has driven you to where he has you is because he recognizes the power of Jesus more than you do? And so the enemy has people bound up because he knows that if they ever get around Jesus, they're going to start begging for something. They're not going to be begging to live among the tombs. They're not going to be begging to be a stripper. They're not going to be begging to be an alcoholic. They're not going to be begging to be a drug addict. No. Once Jesus came in, let me just jump down. The man, now the man of Gadara, not the man that was demon possessed because Jesus cast out the demons. The demons said, we can't stay in your presence. So you tell us where you want us to go. Can we leave, please? We're tired of bowing. Can we go so that we can make somebody else assume that we have power and authority because you're embarrassing us. We have to bow before you. So can you release us so that we no longer have to live in this truth? We would rather live in our lie that somehow we have authority. We'll take the pigs. We'll take the pigs. After the man was delivered... The man begged to be with Jesus. After he was delivered, all he wanted to do was to be in the presence of Jesus. As we think, oh, my, my kid's an atheist and he doesn't want to be around. No, no. Once you get rid of the demon, they will beg not to go back to the bar. They're not going to beg to go back to the pig pen. I just want to be with you, Jesus. And here's what the Lord spoke to me this morning. You can tell what is demonic or what is godly by what flees his presence. The demons couldn't wait to get out of his presence. But the man that had been delivered said, I don't want to leave your presence. Now, it was my intention to wear a suit today and a tie. I wanted to wear my dancing shoes. Because we seem to be dancing up here all the time now. But my pants didn't fit. And I had to take them back to Fred. And I couldn't get there last night because the prayer meeting went too long. Because we've been having some prayer meetings around this place. So I woke up this morning, and this is the first time, I think, since I have been married that I've asked anybody besides my wife and my kids what I should wear. And I asked the Lord. And the Lord said, I want you to wear the shoes that most people in my church wear. They're running shoes. Because they're running from my presence. Instead of dancing in my presence. The dancers will stay. And demons will flee. They will run out of my presence. And the church has got to get its running shoes off. And its dancing shoes back on. And you'll know the difference. About who longs to be in his presence. And who wants to run from him. Now automatically people are going to be like. Well I got to go. I got to. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there needs to be a longing in our hearts. To be like the man from Gadara. 
said, Lord, I've lived in the tombs and naked and abused and chained and mocked and made fun of. I've lived that way my whole life. And Jesus, you're the first person that ever put any value on me. You valued me enough to deliver me. You valued me enough to save me. You valued me enough to put me in my right mind, to clothe me. You valued me enough. When heaven was singing the song, and to you are all things, I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. Like, Lord, you valued me enough. You valued me enough to bring me here. You gave me the wife I have. You gave me more. You gave me Zoe. And all I want to do, Lord, there's when people say I don't know what kind of a man I would be if it wasn't for the Lord I'm different I know what kind of a man I would be if it wasn't for Jesus I just have my personal moment with I'm so overwhelmed by his goodness I'm so overwhelmed by his grace I'm so overwhelmed by his mercy you know just a few years ago I couldn't even bow I had a car wreck that messed my knees up so bad I couldn't get on my knees and get back up. I'm just overwhelmed that when they sing the song, We Bow Low, that I'm not the only oddball. I can get on my knees and say, Lord, thank you. I had a car wreck where my spine was bent. A semi hit me in my Camaro. Had to flip around and play golf the other direction. My spine was so messed up and so much pain. And yet every day I get up without pain. I get up without any hurt or pain or sorrow. I get up, get up with... I mean, just when you start running down the list of all the things that God has done for you. I don't want my running shoes on. Mercy me, just pen the words. And what will I do when I get in his presence? Will I dance before you, Jesus? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah will I be able to speak at all I can only imagine what it will be like and the only reason why that moment will be there is one day Jesus showed up on my shoreline and the demons had to flee and I became in my right mind and the scales fell off my eyes and I saw him for who he is Jesus, the Son of God, have mercy on me.
Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit SIWcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.